0: Life good. Never on. Whoa. Hard. Hardly. Yes. Come on, Brent. Life good.
1: Got real close. Got hair high, right? Try and hit two thirds. Have they no. saved oh. it for her? It. Yes, they have.
0: Oh, welcome to Game of Stones, everybody. I am Sean Graham Scott. Alongside, as always, hello Scott.
1: Ooh, hi Sean. <laughs> How you doing, buddy? Oh, boy. I'm, uh, you know, I had a long sleep uh, yesterday. Uh, We're recording this Monday. Yeah. And Sean, I didn't tell you this, but I took the day off today. Okay. Wow. I said, uh, you know what? I've been going stem to stern with the Briar, the Scotties before that. Just need a little time, a little me time. But then the week before that, you took off. Well, listen, uh, <laughs> we you know we all we all don't have the the, the stamina that you have, Sean. I'm a little bit older, and so uh, right, yeah, yeah. I needed a day, uh, slept in a bit, uh, toodled around, did a few errands. Okay,
0: what was your big errand? What was the big thing you accomplished on
1: your day off? So, Sean, I have. Not owned a printer since I was in university and I bought a printer today. Wow. So I went to pick that up. Nice. You're going to do some printing. Yeah. So I can send some stuff back.
0: <laughs> That's why you bought it because you had to return online orders that you didn't have return slips for.
1: Yes. Mainly.
0: <laughs> so this isn't a work related purchase. This is a purely personal. It is. Yes. Okay. Did yes. you buy the printer that shack has been advertising
1: throughout the curling you know what i thought of that yeah uh but i still don't like ink so no ink okay so no, we'll I, have, I went laser
0: all right so we'll have to remember that when we do our curling ad podcast this year that that one
1: did not work on you uh maybe it made me want to buy a printer subconsciously maybe. but uh no no uh no inkjet printer for me uh, black and white. That's all I need. All right. So exciting news from the world of
0: Scott as we mm-hmm. enter year two of COVID-19 living here in Ottawa. March 13th was the day here where things really shut down. I know it was different days. Everywhere March 11 was big uh, in certain places. So uh, we, we noted that over the weekend as we watched the end of the 2021 briar which of course played in the bubble because of covid 19 scott it was a long week it was a fun week i i remember that the time change has happened during the briar before but i was very appreciative of no tiebreakers because Mm -hmm. uh, we didn't have that sunday morning game to have to get up for With the time zone, the springtime change, of course, everyone always thinks about, oh, Saskatchewan would be nice right now. Uh, And then in the Mm -hmm. fall one, we're like, Saskatchewan misses out on this. So (laughs) uh, (laughs) most of the country, of course, jumping ahead an hour into daylight saving time. And the first day of daylight saving time, Scott, fourth time is a charm for Brendan Botcher and his rink out of Alberta, out of the Saville Center, finally breaking through for his first Briar Championship. The whole team with their first Briar Championship in a win over Kevin Cooey on Sunday night. Scott, what did you think of the game? And what do you think of Brendan Botcher as your Briar Champion?
1: Well, Sean, I, I'm not going to you know, make any huge news waves here when I say, oh, I'm pretty happy for these guys that you know they've been working so long and for so hard or working so hard for so long. <laughs> yeah. Boy, it's uh, maybe another day off. Right? Uh, that, that, yeah, we're, we're all happy that they've finally broken through. Uh, you know, some of us wanted to see them go full Buffalo Bills, but uh, <laughs> as a Bills fan, I'm glad they didn't. Uh, and, and so I'm happy for them there. When it comes to the game, yeah. I think that it was very well played and there was one unfortunate pick yeah <laughs> that yeah. really changed the game
0: yeah and so in that game it's really nip and tuck the entire way through and we see in the 7th end well actually like so early in the game pretty open both teams feeling each other out the 3rd mm-hmm. end botcher plays it a little more aggressively uh they get their force in the 3rd and that they're full fare for that force in the 3rd end and then we get a little bit of mixing it up through those middle ends. But again, still mm-hmm. still very tentative. And then the third, or excuse me, the seventh end, Kevin Cooey's first one picks. Brendan Botcher was set up for a deuce here yes, in this end. And the pick gets him the third point. And it is a very unfortunate time for a pick. And this was a real pick. This wasn't one of those picks where we make fun of the teams for saying, oh, they made a pick when they really just missed the shot. Like this was an yeah. actual pick which you yeah. never like to see, especially in a big spot like that. And then Botcher's able to come back and get a force in eight. So he's up three to two with the hammer going to the ninth end and really in control of that game. Yeah, yeah. That's
1: part of the problem with being okay with taking blanks, right, is that you can't dig yourself out of something like that should it come up you know what i mean so yeah the you know praising the strategy of oh well if we just blank 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 until the end we'll score a point with hammer and we'll win uh, you got to be perfect you you got to be so good and and like we saw all week these guys are really good but if if a mistake happens and that's the way you're playing you don't have the chance to come back. We talked about this on our show during the week when it related to Jason Gunlickson. You know, like he got shut out in a game. Yeah, He was content to take blanks. And then when it was time for him to score, he missed. And that sort of was the the whole game, right? It all comes down then to one shot. and And yes, they're making shots for the blanks, of course. But it is it it, it does mean you have to be. So precise and so good and dialed in the whole time, and you have to assume that the ice is perfect and your sweepers are perfect, and it—it's just a lot. I think. What do you think of that?
0: Yeah, it, it is a challenging strategy because the other team is for is wanting to push you and force you and and mix it up a little bit. That they're not going to let that go for the whole game. That is what we saw in the Gunnlixon game where he did get shut out. Where sure, the other team is willing to go along with it for a while, but eventually they're going to start pushing you and up the degree of difficulty. And if you're defensive the whole time, it's really hard to get those blanks or be put in a position then where either you're going to be forced or just give up a steal, which is what happened to Gunlixon, And it, it does create this this idea of, yeah, you do have to go at some point because these other teams are too good to let you sit back and just carry the hammer to the end of the game. Now, that's not exactly what happened here because Botcher had the hammer and he was he went for it in the seventh end right? Yes. So it, it kind of worked out for him that he was able to blank four through six when he had the hammer. And then again, that that on its own doesn't decide. The game, the force and eight is huge. And then in the ninth end, I thought this was, to me, the most interesting part of the game was the ninth end where mm-hmm. Botcher yeah. has the hammer back again. And there's a long discussion on Cooey shots where Brendan Botcher has one sort of back four foot and another one that is locked on at the top 12 foot. And there's a, a kui stone or two kui stones kind of on top of it. One of which is frozen. And there's a long discussion for the kui team of what do we want to do here? Uh, what, what is the play for us? And do we try to steal? Because their fear was that he'll give us one and we'll be tied without coming home. They mm-hmm. thought about, well, can we do something that almost forces him into one potentially, and that's the situation that Cooey wanted. He wanted to be down two with. And they that discussion I I found so fascinating. We've seen Cooey give up steals in ninth ends before intentionally to be down mm-hmm. two with the hammer. Seems like that, the, well, that is what they were going for there. He kind of missed his shot by an inch. Brennan Botcher had a double back to potentially score the two. He just got it a little too thin and rolled out and got the one. But... Mm-hmm. You know it that again was another example of you you're really walking this razor's edge when you're not scoring points
1: absolutely that that's uh, another great example right botcher seemed really keened up really geeked up to show to to throw that shot in nine It was a game winning shot because i he, he would have won well the game. that's it I think in his in his mind he was like I make the shot I win the Briar, not yeah. the game I win the Briar. I've lost three in a row. <laughs> yeah. I make this simple shot. I win the briar. You push out a little hard, right? Yep. Um, sure. That's going to happen. Uh, but for him to then regroup and play the 10th end the way that they did uh, was very, very, very impressive. Impressive. Uh, but before we get there, Sean, let's talk about eight. Sure. Let's talk about Cooey's shot to take one. In the eighth end. Okay. Yep. This was a a double that he somehow overcurled yeah. and squeezed the rock forward. Yeah. While still making the double. Uh-huh. Did you think that shot was there?
0: No, not in a million years. I, I don't think there's another player in the world. And we were talking about this with in, in our group chat with Rocks Across the Pond. Maybe Nicodine. Maybe. hmm But I I don't think there's anybody else in this field who makes that shot. There might not be another person in the world who makes that shot. The angle, when you looked at it, made no sense. There was no way that he could get an inside roll. He needed an inside roll to score, but the angle didn't work to get an inside roll and the double. He just threw it hard enough that the rock just went forward after. Like it sort of lurched forward after it made contact with the botcher stone. That shot was incredible.
1: Incredible, and and it looked like you know it went by, and maybe it like was going so fast it blew the botcher stone just by the wind. You know, it, <laughs> it ticked it, it ticked it so little. Yeah. Uh, and then Morris had had enough uh, wherewithal to be with it and, and sweeping it back. Uh, great shot, game saving shot. Yep. I thought the game was over. I was getting ready to go to bed, thinking, okay, this is it. Uh, Botcher's going to win. Yep. And well, I went, oh. Yeah,
0: I mean it's against five, right? There's no chance I don't. He was going to give up five because if he rolls out, it's probably still it's four. But like the game's over. Three or four. Yeah, Yeah. it's over. But it's it's one of those shots that. Yeah, I. I, You're just glad if you're on that team that you have Kevin Cooey.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and that's uh, the kind of shot that he can make. That he can, you know, keep his team in the game. Right. They can miss a bunch of shots before that, and he can sort of bail them out. Yeah. Bail them out with one. Yeah.
0: And actually, that shot, Scott, is what made the 10th end so interesting the whole way through. That mm. Kevin Cooey was never set up great through the middle of the end a little bit, but they got a miss out of uh, BJ Newfeld, And then Darren Molding wasn't sharp in the 10th end. He looked pretty amped mm-hmm. up uh, in the 10th yes. end. Uh, to, to get a chance to win that game. And Brendan Botcher is able to make his two. And the whole time, though, as you're thinking about this, I, at least for me, even when Botcher has two stones in and the angles don't look like Kevin Cooey could get both of those out and score three and win the game, I was never fully convinced that Kevin Cooey couldn't do it just because he has pulled off those type of shots we had seen it 20 minutes before that he had pulled mm-hmm. something off that i don't think anyone saw certainly the broadcasters didn't and no. so that like even when like the physics would make no sense whatsoever and kevin Cooey, after brendan botcher's last shot makes the hit and you're looking at it and thinking okay i'm a normal human being I don't see how this could possibly work at all. (laughs) But Kevin Cooey is not a normal human being and pulls this kind of stuff off somehow. Uh, But this one was a little bit too much for him. But that's what made that 10th end kind of more interesting, to me at least, is that even when I'm looking at the angles, I'm trying to
1: think, how does Kevin Cooey see this? Mm. And that's hard because you're not him, right? So like even... even in our position trying to think like him tr- having watched him curl so long and and sort of saying okay how is he seeing it we can't do it because that's that's sort of the curling brain that he has yeah uh, which is so so advanced right The one, one of the things I really liked was uh, I guess what we'll, we might talk a little bit about the time clock uh, they were running very low I think they were at 47 seconds when It was his turn to throw his last.
0: Yeah. So the final time when they conceded and
1: that's when the clock stopped, uh, 11 seconds. Yeah. So I saw him, you know, with his like fist on his cheek, you know, looking around and the boys are saying, I don't see anything, Koo. And, he said, keep looking, keep looking. Yeah. And I thought that's, <laughs> that's the embodiment of, uh, of him as a curler, right? Keep yeah. looking, keep looking. There's something there where there's gotta be. And, uh, at the end of the day there wasn't, but you know, the, the sort of determination that they play with, I think is pretty, uh, pretty cool.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Very impressive. I mean, he's, he won four briars and for the first, I don't know, what is he now? 40 something. So, for the first 10 years of his career, he had to go through Kevin Martin and Randy Furby. So, you know, he, he's a guy who grew up in this environment of having to go through top level players. And sure there was I'm almost this knock out, on right? him when he won his first Briar in, in 2010 that, oh, well, the only reason he even got there is because Martin was at the Olympics. And certainly he has proven that that criticism at that time was nonsensical. And uh, obviously, uh, one of the greatest now uh, in in Canadian history, and a guy who he's not
1: going anywhere. No, no, he's not. He's uh, 45, Sean. Okay, so yeah, so so run it back 20 years
0: or 25 years when he's starting up as a coming out of juniors, his his growing up in the sport in Alberta is trying to get through. Furby in the years where we had the boycott and then the boycotts over Martin's back and they were that powerhouse and that's what he was trying to get through. And, you know, it's one of these things where there was a lot of talk, you know, Mike McEwen, you can't get out of Manitoba. Well, that's because Jeff Stoughton's there and, and Manitoba's pretty damn good. And going through that, that push of trying to have to get through those top level teams at the local level, isn't always a bad thing. And he went through it, got through it, and now is really the established top guy in certainly in Alberta, toss up in the country, maybe, and certainly like top four in the world, undisputably. And then, you know, I'll let you have your pick of the top four teams in the world, and I'm happy with whoever's left over.
1: Yeah, yeah, no doubt.
0: All right, so Scott, on the other side, of course, Brandon Boncher does win. As we said, first win for him and the squad. Out of the Saville Center in Edmonton. Scott, what's amazing to me is that the last six Briars have had three teams make the final or three skips make the final. Botcher, Kui, Gushu. Mm-hmm. Each of them have played in four finals. Botcher, of course, has the most losses of those teams with the, the three losses. But when we look at this team, the progress of them over this quadrennial, they came through the pre-trials to get to the trials in Ottawa in 2017. They'd made the Briar that year, their first Briar, And now, Scott, every year they've gotten better and better. Even in those losses, their record through the week has gotten better. And the scoring differential has been better. Their shooting percentage has gone up. This is a team that has managed to continue its ascent over the past four years. Very impressive performances from them. And as you said, everyone sort of universally seems to, to, to like them, recognize that they're good guys. I know for me, first time I ever had a media credential at an event, Darren Molding had, it, it was the mixed Canadian championship. He won the event as the skip and gave a lot of time to the like three media people who were there. It was very generous and gracious with his time. So I've always kind of thought, nice guy for doing that in that setting, mm. And certainly he's been a lot of fun on social media and, and a good presence in the sport. So it is nice to see for those four guys. And I don't really know what else there is to say about this team other than I'm impressed by their ability to be resilient and to continue to come back from the losses and continue to get better.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's it's never easy to deal with adversity in any sport in life even but what what is the saying is that if it doesn't kill you it makes you stronger and that seems to be true for this team you know they like you say they've been through a lot of the trials and tribulations uh their first time at the briar i think went three and eight uh if not f- maybe four and seven no, i was three and eight Oh, jeez, I should have just gone with my like gun. <laughs> and, you know, they they took that as a, a learning opportunity, came back uh, a couple of years later. And like you say, they sort of the way that Cooey had to battle through Alberta and come up to become what he is now, we've seen Botcher the last few years have to battle through Alberta. He's been helped a little more by the Team Canada inclusion in the Briar, uh, yeah. affording him that opportunity, The the wild card too. I uh, got them into the briar one year, but th- they've taken those opportunities when they've gotten them and put in a lot of hard work and it's paid off. But Sean, I think we all know the reason they won this week. It's because of the socks. Oh, right? the socks. Yeah. Yeah. I-, I
0: tweeted out that I very much look forward to Vic's essay next year about the socks.
1: It's going to be yeah. great. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, I, I'm only partially joking, but uh, you know, when you're, when your ankles are warm, yeah, you can, con- you can concentrate a lot more on the, the task at hand, right? That's why I if, wear baseball.
0: I wear baseball socks that go up to my knee when I play. Don't like having a cold ankle, cold Achilles, anything like that. It's not good.
1: are you there yeah i i don't hear you at all oh your phone time. your phone rang yeah for the last 20 seconds i haven't heard you at all that's because i haven't been talking okay well i i shut my phone down oh, okay
0: <laughs> it also said you were offline for a minute or for a second okay that's probably why i couldn't hear you all right all right so i don't know what your cue was uh, I was just saying that uh, I wear high socks because cold ankles and cold Achilles are bad news.
1: Yeah, Sean, they are because, you know, you never know when you might rupture an Achilles. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but that Kevin Durant looked pretty painful uh, yeah. in, in 2019.
0: Yeah, it doesn't look like fun. <laughs> no. no, no good. So so that, of course, uh, did play a part in the narrative, Scott. I think the bigger thing that had uh, a lot to do with their victory was their win over Matt Dunstone in the semifinal on a crazy-ish run back, twenty-foot angle run back from about the what ten o'clock position, ten eleven o'clock position above the house into the four foot to get the two that they needed in the tenth end to win the semifinal game? I think that had a little more to do with it than the Sox. Now, don't come at me, people, but I'm. <laughs> Uh, that that's my hot take, that the shot to
1: win the semifinal was more important than the socks. What do you think? Wow, Sean, that's a scorching hot take. Oh. I don't know how you can justify it. But <laughs> yeah, we we talked about that shot a little on our show yesterday that we did that. That shot isn't as hard as it seems, I think, for a team of this caliber. once Once you've got the angle figured out and where you need to hit the rock, then it's just sort of about Getting the line call right to hit the rock where you know you've got to hit it, yeah, Uh, and throwing it so that it has a chance, right? Um, You don't want to you don't want to dump it out or or anything like that. But the way that he, he was playing all week, it wasn't that difficult a shot for him. I don't think he called it. He expected to make it, and he made it. Sure did. And. When when somebody does that, it's it's heartbreaking for the other team. But you, you can't you can't do anything other than say you know good shot, good shot, man. Yeah, and, and shake your head and cry and t- a bit, t- whatever. Tip t- 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 your cap a little bit to the other team. I, I think what for was sure. that? So
0: that game kind of mirrored a little bit, or I guess the final mirrored the semifinal. Very tentative in the first half, and even into the second half of the game. Neither team really going too hard. And for as much as the shot in 10 was a, a great shot. And I think the signature shot of this victory week for the botcher team, you know, if, if I'm putting together packages, highlight packages of their win this week, mm-hmm. there's nothing really in the the game last night that stands out for that. It's the shot in the 10th end of the semi that that's that like big moment uh, of the week in retrospect, given that they won. But mm-hmm. For the whole game, I, there was a moment, I think it was in the eighth end, where things got like really bonkos. And just seeing how hard Botcher was going to score two at that point, where he raised a Dunstone rock into his shot stone in the forefoot on a kind of similar angle, actually, into the forefoot. And basically what he was able to do was kind of push the shot stone over off the pin to the right a little bit to basically lock it in so that it couldn't go anywhere. And that was one of those shots too that just kind of like Cooey that signals that this guy sees things differently. Like mm-hmm. there, there is not a wreck player in the world who is going to raise in the opponent's stone into the forefoot into their shot rock. There are very few elite teams that I think would have tried to do that. It was one of these moves that just stands out to you and i tweeted this earlier in the week on the the first kui botcher game but like these guys are just playing on a totally different level i'm not even convinced it's the same sport that the rest of the the rest of us play when you see stuff like that
1: yeah yeah and and the problem with seeing stuff like that as a rec player is then you go to the club and you try it and you fail miserably and then you yeah. realize just how special uh, these kinds of shots are, you know, like I say, that's a very routine shot for a team like, like Brendan Botcher. And, and I really think it is, but when you go out and try it yourself, you realize like, oh, it's not simple for me. It's just the extra level. These guys are playing on. Like you say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah I, it, so you feel,
0: you feel sad for Dunstone? Well, this is interesting. We talked about this on the broom stack on Sunday afternoon after that semifinal game. And I don't know, like for as, as nice as it is to like, I guess for, for team botcher to win, I don't know if I feel good for them. I mean, my life's the same as it was before, (laughs) you know, they won it good for them. Um, And I kind of feel similarly for Matt Dunstone and, and his team. Uh, I would have felt the same if they had won as I feel. Botcher wins, I, I think. Uh, so yeah. for, for them, though, Scott, I do think that, and I said this on the show yesterday, that was the best Braden Mascowie game I've ever seen. And I don't care what the percentage says, because I'm sure the percentage would not indicate that that was the best game he's ever played. But that was such an impressive performance to me as someone who thinks a lot about team dynamics and probably over analyzes the interaction between the players. And I, I was critical of Muscawi earlier in the week in a game where they got blown out, and it felt like really the whole team had given up. You can almost see it in the line calls sometimes that they didn't really care anymore. And I, mm. I don't—I'm not crazy with that kind of stuff. But in that game yesterday, he was so good. He was like—I was as impressed with him yesterday as I was with Reed Carruthers last year, where I was skeptical of the team going in for that particular reason. And there was just moments in there where like at one point he overthrew a rock and Myers and uh, Kidby didn't have to sweep it. It ended up being in an okay spot, but he's coming down. He's joking with them. like, Hey, I'm just an unselfish guy. I didn't want you to sweep anymore. Like those are those little things that to me as an observer, I think those are the type of things you need to be a consistent winning team. You can't, When you miss a shot or you overthrow a shot a little bit, it's okay to be upset. But having those little moments of levity, particularly in a high stress situation, I was so impressed by that. And I said this on the show yesterday, and I think I'm going to stick with it. I will not be surprised if come the final Sunday of November, they're standing on top of a podium, putting on a team Canada jacket and making plans to go to Beijing.
1: Yeah, and, and scheduled to be the home team there, uh, you know, in in November. I I think it might be a little premature for that. I know they've won a Grand Slam and you know two bronze play bronze medal wins at the Briar. Yep. But but uh, you know you kind of have to climb that mountain first, right? And juniors is a, a great introduction, but it's not. The big time. That said, we did see you know Brad Gushue win without having won a Briar. We saw Cheryl Bernard win. Uh, heck, we saw Shannon Kleibrink win in two thousand six two. Yep. So, I guess it's possible. I just think that you know that being fifteen years ago versus today, the the change in the sport. I I think there's too many top dogs for them to have to go through this year. But, you know, four years hence, it's it's definitely in the cards for this team.
0: Yeah, so th- very impressive. The other thing I'll say about them, though, Scott, when we look at the progression that, yeah, last year they were in the one-two game. And this year they finished in second place officially with the, the tie break over Brandon Botcher. That's why they had the hammer in that mm-hmm. semifinal. So same position. This year as last year, finishing second through the round robin play. But I think it was a much more impressive way through. They lost three games last year. They lost three games this year through the round robin. Yeah. One more win this year, obviously, with the extra game and the same losses. But the losses or excuse me, the wins this year, they weren't as close. They weren't as as at the buzzer. They didn't need as many big miracle shots. They just went out and beat people. And yeah, they had a couple losses and a couple bad losses at that, but that was a more sustainable type of beating people than the miracle shot at the end. And yeah, it's nice mm-hmm. to have that when you need it, but this week, he didn't need it when they were winning because they just crushed people when they had to. And so I think this was a better briar for them than 2020. And if they can continue that progression, uh, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm. Almost excited to see what this team is going to be like, come November. Now they have to get there. They don't have a spot in the trials yet. Their loss mm-hmm. yesterday opened up another spot for the pre-pre trial event. I think they'll be the favorite going into that. And then if they somehow don't get to that, then they have the pre-trials themselves. So they have two shots to get in, and I would expect them to get through. So. It'll be interesting though once we get to November how things shake out, what type of a season we have leading up to that, to see if they can be in top form.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, we'll have to see. And like you say, the pre-pre trials will will be where they're going to attempt to get their spot right in. If they don't get it, they'll still have a chance at the pre-trials, which I would I would put them as a pretty heavy favorite to get through. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, if I'm Team Dunstone, I I want to. Have a good showing. I, I obviously want to win the Olympic berth for sure. But I think realistically, if they think about it in their heads, their peak is probably the next quadrennial. Yeah. I mean, they're all young enough. I think I was, yeah, I think I, Myers is the oldest one. And we talk about skips, you know, really coming into their own in their 30s. Yeah. Right. Um, whereas, Peak athletic performance is usually somewhere in your in your twenties, for most sports. But uh, for curling, for a skip, just the the reps as a skip, the the strategic thinking, the seeing shots that maybe nobody else sees, the the Kevin Cooey of it all, right? Right. It, it comes with experience. Yep. Yeah, no, no question. And
0: I think Scott, as we move forward into the sport, it, it it'll be curious for me to see, you know, who comes out of this Manitoba. Meluge, if I can make up a word of uh, young teams, uh, you know, you got the JT Ryans of the world. Uh, you got Jock Gauthier. Uh, so two recent junior champions. Does, does that in the next quadrennial, does one of those teams or does, or perhaps form a super team in Manitoba, come up, challenge McEwing, challenge Gunlickson, and emerge out of there. Does Tyler Tardy, how does his jump go into the men's game over mm-hmm. the next four years? You know, who is going to emerge out of that? It'll be curious to see. But as we sit right now with that sort of uncertainty of who's coming out of the junior levels and who will make that jump, I am okay as we sit here in the middle of March 2021 if the, the next decade of big Briar playoff games are Dunstone versus Botcher. I'll sign
1: up for that right now. Yeah, yeah, I think we'd get uh, definitely some good games. What what we saw from Team Botcher, for example, right, was they came to the trials in 2017 through the pre-trials. They yeah. didn't have a particularly good week. They I think not. they were uh, like around 500. I think you played eight three, games that week, right? Three, no, seven, three, three, and four, I think. I'll look it up while you. It was def it was definitely 8 games okay. because there's 9 teams there. And so so what I want to see at this trials this year is who is that watcher team this year, right? Yeah. Is it Dunstone that comes in you know sort of looking to take the next step? I would argue no because they were there. He's played last time. Yeah. And but like who in the field do you think is that team coming in? Because like we talked about before this event, not a lot of rookies, right? Nope. It was basically the territories and Yukon that were the rookie teams. Yeah. I think 17 players overall. So so yeah, is it is it Tyler Tardy's team that maybe this year was the year we would have seen them, you know, starting to play more on tour? getting into form to become that, you know, maybe team that comes through the pre-trials next year Yeah, uh, to the trials. I think that's sort of the most likely. Uh, Jacques Gauthier and and the team from Manitoba, I think they're still too young. Well, for I, this I year. Think, well, I know for this year, but I think they're still too young to even contend in four years. They, they might be in the mix, but I don't think they'll be at the top. The question is though, like, do the teams we see at the top now, how many of them are done? Yeah. Yeah. And and that's, that's a
0: discussion we can certainly have once we get there, but you just look at the ages of guys and when people tend to step away and, you know, Cooey's in his forties, Mike McEwen's in his forties, Brad Gushu's in his forties, I think. Um, And he's 40. So, you know, you're, you're not looking at guys who are going to be around for multiple cycles. Again, in all likelihood, Brad Jacobs has talked about what that situation will be, whether or not they'll stay together and the challenges that they've had. John Epping's been around for a while and, you know, he's got Lang on his team who's also been around for a while. How long do they want to keep playing at that level? How much for someone like Lang is mixed doubles going to be potentially the focus for him? Who, Who knows? And mm-hmm. so all that speculation does create a vacuum. I think once we get through this cycle, I don't think there's spots for November for any team that wasn't at this Briar. If I'm being probably honest. not,
1: probably not maybe, anyway. maybe flash. Cause he's in the pre pre trials. Maybe. Yeah. Really? He's in the pre pre trials.
0: According to the curling Canada release. Yeah. he got enough points on his own. Anyway, well, combined okay. with the other guys he's with. Yeah, right, right. Huh, well, we'll see. So, well, yeah, we'll have to see how how it all comes together. But yeah, the, the Dunstone Botcher potential of a great rivalry over the next decade. And, and we saw a great game yesterday. All right, let's talk about some of the other teams, Scott, and some of the major stories through the week. Uh, I think the biggest story, arguably, Wayne Madaw's bionic leg. Yes. What is in the leg? Uh, the, this was great. And I love how much fun they had with it too. Uh, online, mm-hmm. uh, Carly Howard, apparently Glenn Howard just left the password on the fridge. Uh, so she was controlling the social media. They had a lot of fun with it. The fact that this was a, a cool comeback story. He hadn't played competitively in a while. He did have the horrible accident a few years ago, uh, fortunately, he was able to recover from it and seems to be back to, to normal in all aspects of his life. Like he can golf, he can curl, he can drink Caesars. Mm-hmm. Those are the three things he cares about in this world. So uh, it was nice to see that uh, he was able to, to get back to, to play and get back into the hack. And Scott, I think when we look at this week, there are a bunch of moments where it would have been cool to have people there. But I I, I think some of the shots that Wayne Madaw made at the end of the week uh, or or throughout the week to win games, those would have been some of the
1: biggest cheers, I think. People would have gone nuts for that story in in the building. No no doubt. No doubt, Sean. A fan favorite from a long time. You know, uh, won in 1998 as a skip. Uh, You know, hasn't been back since, what was it, 2013? uh, Or 2014. So... Yeah, like really nice for him to get back in the saddle. One more ride. He did what he could. He played really, really, really well. Um, and at the end of the day, he sort of ran out of steam. Right, uh, got caught up playing a little too, little too cute. Maybe the last the uh, last two games. Yeah, maybe the maybe the front end was getting a little. You know, maybe tired. not just the front end, but the rest of the guys, I it felt like they were sort of feeling the moment a bit. A little bit. And th- there was the unfortunate situation on Saturday
0: where the Rocks were sanded overnight, uh, papered, as they call it, and they didn't know about it. Some yeah. teams knew about it. Other teams didn't. This was a major thing on social media on Saturday. And the Howard team was upset about it. I think rightfully so. And the issue wasn't that the rocks were papered. The issue is that not every team knew about it and curling Canada half apologized for it and said that they will review their procedures on what to do. And I think the big issue for Glenn Howard and the team was that they threw their draw to the button before the game, which determines hammer without having known this. Gushu knew it. He won the draw to the button. He had the hammer in the first end and, that did kind of get in the way, I think, of the game a, a little bit, unfortunately. And, yeah, they weren't able to come back to win that game. And then they lost to kui on Saturday night.
1: Well, I mean, I, I understand that they'd be mad they weren't told. But didn't they practice for seven minutes with the Rocks before they threw the draw to the button? They did. Wouldn't they have noticed, like, hey, these are running different?
0: I don't know what to tell you, man.
1: Yeah. I mean, yes, I I would be upset too. Uh, But my, my being upset would maybe come before I threw my draw to the button where I was like, did you guys do anything to these rocks? They're really different. Yeah. Like, or they just thought the ice was different. I don't know. I
0: don't know what happened in the practice. No, I just know that they were upset and, and, and yeah, so now we'll see what happens with that team. They have a spot in the pre pre trials as well. So we'll see them. And now with two spots at those pre-pre-trials instead of one, of course, if there had only been one, it would have meant that Dunstone or Howard had won this event and or mm-hmm. somebody else, I guess, Laycock could have won. Uh, but at this point, we have uh, those two spots. I, I would say those two teams would be the favorites going into those pre-pre-trials.
1: I, yeah, I, I would have to say so.
0: All right yeah. so elsewhere across the sheets uh, in terms of some sad demises of teams uh, James grattan Scott, got got off to such a good start and uh, just g- Greg Skoge got you got Greg Skogeed on uh, Thursday Scoggy's night Skoge yeah he couldn't uh, couldn't pull it out for James Grattan had a spot teed up for a tiebreaker on Friday morning but Vic just used his no tiebreaker pixie dust. And uh, James Grattan falls, but it was fun to see them got a couple big wins over the course of the week with McEwen beat Jacobs, uh, really fun run for that team. Always good to see them there. And this was one of those years where, where people weren't playing. He was able to play a bunch this year. And you kind of mm-hmm. saw that early in the week where he got
1: uh, out to a great start. And man, this is really hard because. Cause he's your best he friend. T- he got you on the plane he beat the teams that he needed to beat at the beginning of the week. Right. Yeah. It was sort of there. Yep. And yeah, that's, that's really a crushing loss, you know, to lose to uh, the, the Northwest territories there. Uh, maybe some bad luck to get them on the last draw when maybe they had figured the ice out a little more than they would have at the beginning. But I think you could say that about any of the teams mm-hmm. and, and, I'm sure he was happy knowing that he had them to look forward to, right? Uh, we penciled him in for five wins. We gave him that win. We did. Uh, yep. after, on, he beat,
0: after he beat Jacobs.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, really tough, really tough one for the Jimmy, the kid yep. that said, I don't think that they would have, you know, run the the championship pool or anything. But, uh, so, I mean, it would have been nice for them, an extra, extra 12, and twelve and a half
0: thousand yeah, dollars thousand $12,000. Uh, but, yes.
1: Greg uh, Skogie Sc- cost him $12,000. <laughs> I hope that uh, <laughs> after the game, he made Greg Skogie buy him $12,000 <laughs> worth of, worth of drinks. Um,
0: of course, he didn't actually, because it would have been a tiebreaker, and then it would have been Jacobs and... Uh, the New Brunswick team in a tiebreaker on Friday morning would have had to see what happened, but yeah, he beat Lake Hawk, he beat McEwen, he beat Jacobs. Uh, Losses last three: Gunlickson, Howard, and Scoggy all in a row. So tough finish for New Brunswick. Scott, let's stay out east. Greg Smith made his return to the Briar. A couple great hot mic moments. Favorite one for me is is the roundhouse shot that he made. That he prefaced mm-hmm. by saying, "We're down seven-one. Who cares." Uh, just a a great force. You saw this moment where you played John Epping and they had the pride flag between the two of them. The first time openly gay skips and played each other at the briar. And we've talked on this show about how important representation is in all of its various forms. So that was a nice moment to see and nice to see it acknowledged after the game as well and uh, promoted on social media. The broadcast didn't make much about it, but it was nice to see it afterwards. So a nice moment there and a guy, Scott, who knows how many times we'll see Greg Smith out of Briar given the situation in Newfoundland and Labrador, but he's a guy that when he's there, he's going to put on a show.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And you know what, Sean, you'll see him next week or this week at the mixed doubles. Yeah. Uh, He's playing, uh, representing Newfoundland Labrador there at the mixed doubles. And I think, You're so right about representation, and I've heard it from so many different people uh, in so many different ways, especially this year, um, as we've talked a little bit more about how important it is for people to see themselves in who they see portrayed in the media, Uh, be it somebody of of a different race, of a different uh, language, of, uh, of a different sexual orientation, whatever it is you know, being able to say, Hey, I'm like that person. If they can do it, I can do it is a really, really, really important thing. And uh, so like you say, it was nice to see that afterwards. It would have been nice to be mentioned on TV. Um, I'm not sure why not. We do praise TSN for a lot of what they do. I think they sort of missed that one, but uh, good to see afterwards. Absolutely. Okay.
0: Well, it could be one of those things, even that TSN didn't, even think about it in the moment because i mean john epping has talked about how he's like the guy who has to come out all the time because yeah. <laughs> like no one yeah. really talks about it it's just sort of accepted that it's john epping which is nice that it's gotten to that point of like he's john mm-hmm. he's not gay curler john he's just john right and so it, it's possible that nobody even thought of that in the moment because like oh john's playing greg smith okay like it's not front right. of mind right so uh, but it was nice to see the curling candidate acknowledge it Afterwards, the only real bummer of the week, as we talked about it throughout the week, that uh, the Newfoundland Canada game was late and therefore not really
1: eligible for a TV game, sadly. Yeah, and, and uh, our friends out east had, uh, had to stay up super late to watch it yeah but of course afterwards greg smith tweeted that
0: he was kind of happy it
1: wasn't on tv because it was a
0: <laughs> bit of a blow uh, once we got there bit of a rough one yeah uh all right elsewhere uh let's stay in newfoundland labrador brad Gushue with a somewhat unceremonious exit on saturday night just didn't have it in a game that he needed to win could have eliminated brendan botcher from the playoff hunt but just uh, one of those games that you know it's you know for as much as we talk scott these teams are on a different level. And certainly Brad Gushu is in that category. It's kind of like at golf in the U S open. It's nice to see that they're also human beings. And I think anyone who's ever stepped on the ice can relate to the game that Gushu had Saturday night, obviously not the way you want to go out when you're defending your championship, but overall for the week, they didn't quite have the greatest feel for the ice uh, as you could hear them talk about during their games. So it's not surprising when we got to Saturday that they, didn't necessarily make the playoffs a little surprising in how they didn't make the playoffs, but one of those weeks that I think this team, they'll just put it behind them and move on to the next event.
1: I think, I think so. Yeah, there. So I I was doing some math, Sean, before the, the show, like I really, like I always love to do doing math, really fun. And uh, we've talked in the past about the hammer factor Mm -hmm. uh, as a, a pretty good stat to show the strength of of the the team during the week so the correlation between hammer factor and wins is usually pretty strong uh brad gushu had the best hammer factor this week their team at uh at 0.29 so the higher is the better and what the hammer factor is is the hammer efficiency yeah which is the number of ends in which you score multiple points minus the number of ends you've had stolen or the, the percentage of stolen ends against you. So the steel defense percentage. Okay. And so obviously the steel defense, you want to be really low because you want very few ends stolen uh, against you. And so, yeah, for Gushu 41% on his hammer efficiency uh, is the third highest in the field. Yeah. Behind Epping and uh, actually Mike Fournier. I probably could have sorted this by games, but <laughs> uh, I didn't. And then uh only six steals against all week in the uh in the twelve games. So yeah, and weren't like it th- uh, th- weren't three of them in the last game. <laughs> I think they were yeah. in the last game against Botcher, yeah. right? Because it got out to seven nothing. Yeah, it Was got out of hand or... pretty fast. Yeah. So uh yeah, pretty tough for for Gushu there. Uh I I think in a different year uh against maybe slightly weaker teams. Uh, they would have been fine to make the playoffs and they would have been in the the tiebreaker for that fourth playoff spot at the very least, right? Yep. Uh, had, the, had the event been in a, a normal year. So tough for them to not make the playoffs at all. Uh, I think that if you'd picked Gushu, Kui, and Botcher for the playoffs, uh, that would have been very smart because <laughs> like you say, they've been the six, the three teams in the last six finals but uh disappointing for them to not go home with any hardware from this week.
0: Yeah so you know it I'm not gonna you know bleed too much for Brad Goshu. He's won three of the last five uh, he's, he's fine <laughs> he's fine <laughs> his, yeah. his life will be fine uh, but yeah not, not not the greatest exit there uh, in terms of other not great exits Scott let's talk about Manitoba real quick and Gunlickson and Mike McEwen a couple disappointing performances for the teams out of Manitoba. Of course, Mike McEwen doesn't make it into the championship pool. Gunlickson goes over once he gets into the championship pool. And this prompted a discussion on the Saturday broom stack with Jonathan and Dean, where we said, maybe Manitoba could be open to one of these young teams, where if they come together, who knows? Maybe somebody can come up and start to nip these guys uh or at least nip on their heels a little bit. But uh, this is a couple now disappointing performances in a row out of Manitoba. It's been a while since Manitoba's been a legit threat. I would say throughout this this quad, Manitoba hasn't really had a, a great sniff at a title. So it would be curious to see what happens. Again, both these teams likely we will see them at the trials once we get into November. But uh, just, you know, the, it's sort of almost like tire spinning in mud right now for the teams when they get to the Briar.
1: Yeah. And especially for, for the McEwen rink, we talked a little bit during the week about they're the, the most disappointed team and probably the most disappointing story of this event to not even get out of their their pool. We sort of the spot that we had reserved for them went to uh, the Howard and yeah. the Madaw rink. So, uh, you know, it, definitely not what they wanted. And we talked a lot about, you know, how their team dynamic had been so good last year. Uh, we really didn't see that this year. Um, they, I, I say Mike McEwan's body language when he's playing badly is, is just really low, like low energy. You know, he's walking around with his broom on his shoulder. You're kind of watching them convinced that they're not going to win. Yeah. unfortunately, right? Yeah, unfortunately. And yeah, that, that's what we didn't see last year even when they were struggling. So Yeah. Yeah, and then uh for Gunlickson, really disappointing. He gets out 5 and 0. Uh I guess you could argue that he played the five easiest games in those first five. Uh well, but he, then yeah.
0: I mean, he beat sort of He, he beat Botcher in the opening draw. But again, opening draw. Botcher basically gave him the game yeah. in the 10th
1: end. Yes, he, d- he didn't really beat Botcher. Botcher lost. Yeah, I think that's fair to say.
0: Yeah, And then, yeah, coming down the stretch, he loses to Jacobs, Laycock, Howard, beats Epping, then loses to Gushu, Cooey, and Dunstone. So not a great run down the stretch, losing six of his last
1: seven games yeah, and we talked about about this at the beginning of the show tonight, but also during the week that it, the way that he's playing the strategy requires, you know that that little margin for error.
0: Yeah, one hundred percent. So uh, let's just uh, quickly, Scott, other teams, Mike Fournier was a lot of fun. They had a nice run. Uh, couldn't quite make it into that championship pool, but uh, you know, very similar to what we saw in the Scotties, a lot of people had fun with the team out of Quebec. So it's always nice to see when these provinces that don't usually threaten and and certainly the past couple of years we've seen Quebec not really be a factor at all in either the Scotties or the Briar. But here in the Briar, you know, he, he put some fear into some folks, did Mike Fournier. So a nice run there. It was fun to see Scott McDonald there with the Jamie Murphy team. They struggled early in the week with their communication, but ultimately they end up at four and four. They have a pretty good run. I'm in the tank for Eddie McKenzie for just reasons. Uh, We saw them push Brad Gushu to the limit with Tyler Smith skipping a game. Look out for Tyler Smith as the men skip coming out of PEI. As we move forward, Greg Skogie had a nice win. He was a factor when we talk about the playoffs. Tough week for Mickelson and uh, Peter Mackey. And I think overall, Scott, it was a fun week. The other, the only other thing that I can think, cause you were not on the show with us on Saturday. Do you have thoughts about the Laycock quote unquote scandal?
1: The, the broom slam? Yeah. No, I, I like broom slamming. Okay. <laughs> right. That we, we talked about that on Friday, I think. Oh, right. That happened on Thursday night. Yeah.
0: Yes. My yeah. apologies. So, if you if you didn't know if you didn't hear about it, yeah, Steve Laycock slammed his broom and uh, caused a forty five minute delay because it damaged the ice, and there was a bit of a controversy over that. Perhaps connected. Rennan Botcher won the sportsmanship award.
1: <laughs> yeah, I didn't think about that. Uh, it, yeah, it could very well be uh, connected to that event. Yeah, could be on some Thursday causation. night.
0: Could be some causation there.
1: Could be, could yeah. be, and I think we we said uh, and maybe tweeted about it. But Steve Laycock is is like the last person yeah. that you would expect to get mad and slam his broom and, and break the ice, right? Like he's 100%. so even keeled all the time. So kind of unfortunate that uh, that it would happen to him.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, he's not the the top in the top list of guys who you think that would happen. So an unfortunate break. Maybe there does need to be some adjustment to the rules as broom slamming becomes more common. And, uh, so some sort of way in which we could avoid that situation moving forward, but not, not a big deal. It's certainly not as big of a deal as it was made out to be on social media. So Scott, I think John. we've talked about all the teams and even in a very passing form.
1: Yeah, I think, uh, I think we did. We did a good, uh, job in doing the talk to every contestant at the survivor finale.
0: <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, so Scott, what is going to stand out for you when you think back on the 2021 Briar?
1: Honestly, I'm going to remember Wayne Madaw. Okay. I think more than anything. The the second would be, oh, this was Botcher's first win. But I, I think the Wayne Madaw story is the story of the week.
0: Okay. I, I think that certainly is fair. I honestly will remember this as the, the awkward end of game Briar. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody really knowing yeah. what to do. Sometimes we'll tap, broom, sometimes we won't. Then they started shaking hands yesterday and I was like, oh no, like what is happening? And then it, and and like with the Scotties, it just felt weird at the end of the game when they're excited and they're happy they're yelling, and it's just silent. And you can hear their echoes yeah. of them cheering. And I, I felt bad for the Carrie Anderson team. I felt feel bad for the Brendan Bodger team. that they're kind of they missed that moment of revelry with the crowd there and Mm -hmm. certainly in alberta an all alberta final that place would have been hopping if there would have been people of course if none of this had happened it wouldn't have been in alberta but you know what i mean that two alberta teams in a final in alberta that that building would have been hopping
1: absolutely it would have been
0: all right uh, miss out on that for sure too bad so scott let's uh revisit our
1: picks real quick um, so let's uh, end the show. We're pretty good. Right? Uh, nothing more to do. <laughs>
0: so before the event, during our preview, we each picked playoff teams and then our
1: winner. Scott, do you remember who you picked for your playoff teams? I remember picking Brad Jacobs to win. Yeah, you did. And I think I I also picked uh, Gushu and Kui? So you picked Northern or
0: Northern Ontario to win. You picked Alberta to finish second, and then you picked a Gushu Kui tiebreaker game.
1: Oh, that's right.
0: Yeah. So for that, you I mean, get, I guess a point and a half.
1: I mean, Gushu would have been in a fourth place tiebreaker. Uh-huh. But with Northern Ontario, I think. So, uh, <laughs> no, that's wrong. But, uh, eh, pretty good. Pretty good. Sean, who do you remember
0: who you picked? I do. So I, I had Northern Ontario in the playoffs as well. I also had Kevin Cooey in the playoffs, but my winner pick from Alberta, Team Brendan Botcher. Wow, Sean, you picked the winner. Pick the winner. Don't, don't do that very often, but uh, got this one right. I believe what I said on the show was that I don't really know this team. I, I don't really have any connection to the team, but I don't think I could watch them lose a the fourth one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like for anyone I I don't I don't care who it is like I don't want Matt Dunstone to go and lose another semifinal you know I just it, it's hard to watch sometimes just the repeated struggles of a team and uh, mm-hmm. so for that reason I picked them and I was correct hey good on yeah good job by me so uh, so there you go so those are our picks I beat Scott uh, of course because that's what happens on the show uh, my picks are just regularly better. Well, a loty da for you. Yeah. Uh, so that'll do it for our 2021 Briar recap. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening. And Thank you so much for everybody who joined us and hung out on the post game broomstack every afternoon through the Briar. We had a lot of fun doing it. It yeah. was it was really great to get to interact with everybody. So the the chat was hopping some days, Scott.
1: Oh, it was really fun. Yeah, it was nice uh, Nice to see some questions, uh, talk about some things, uh, some joking going on. It was good. Yeah, and some it stuff that we wouldn't have thought about on our own that came up through the chat that we had some really yeah. fun discussions on. Yeah, and and thanks to all of our guests who came on uh, throughout the week too to, uh, to talk about the games. Much appreciated.
0: Absolutely. So uh, if you want, all the videos are still there over on Facebook, facebook.com slash Game of Stones podcast. If you want to check some of them out, uh, some of the topics are pretty evergreen. I think, you know, the first 10 minutes or five, 10 minutes of each one is about what just happened. Then we get into, in a lot of cases, pretty evergreen topics. If you want to go check out some of those broom stack and I'll put together a best of the Briar broom stacking to release at some point in the future. So you can look out for that, uh, elsewhere, do subscribe to this feed. If you have not yet, wherever it is you get your podcast, do the likes, ratings, comments, all that stuff keeps us going, helps other people find the show. You can also follow along on social media, Twitter, Instagram at Game of Stones Pod. Scott is at Scott Likes TV, and I am at the Sean Graham. And do head on over to Game of for all our past episodes. I have a blog post over there about how the pre-pre-trials is going to work and Olympic qualification. And now that we're going to have a sense or not even a sense we will know which countries have qualified for the olympics once we get to the end of the women's world championship i'll update that post uh, assuming that canada qualifies in those two disciplines which we'll have to see yes it's not unheard of for canada
1: missed the playoffs at a world championship it's rare but not unheard of that's right and it'll it'll be weird maybe weird but it'll be cool to watch uh, team botcher and see how they fare at their first uh event on the world stage yeah fortunately for them if you want to put it in a fortunate
0: way they've been in the bubble and a couple of them aren't yep. going home so yeah uh, you know they'll have the experience where the other teams will have to get used to the bubble environment and they just played a week of high level games against some of the best teams in the world not all the other teams can say that that's right. So they, they right. should be coming in ahead of the curve a bit with uh, with that. But we'll talk about all that once we get to the men's world. worlds. And of course, when you do get over to GameOfStonesPod.com, click on the merch tab. Scott has updated the merch offerings. We have black t-shirts. The black t-shirt is still available, but we switched out some of the other items. So now there are two different hues of a hoodie. There is a baseball tee and a toque. And like with the t shirts, we're going to donate all the proceeds from these. The t shirts will continue to donate the proceeds to Food Banks Canada, and for the new items, all proceeds to the Sandra Schmirler Foundation. So, very excited for those. Part of the reason we did this is that I wanted a couple of new things for full disclosure, uh, but we thought, hey, I I could have ordered them through the sort of back channel of the site that we use to get them for myself. But we thought, hey, why not update, see if anybody else wanted some of the new merch. And again, we're just going to continue to donate the proceeds from them. So I ordered a hoodie and a toque and I got confirmation of that. So I'm very excited to see them in person. But you can head on over to Gameofstonespod.com slash merch. No, just click on the merch tab and then you'll find it click on the merch tab yeah so just click on the merch tab and everything's there and scott you did all that
1: yeah and i can try to create a slug uh game of game of stones pod slash merch but uh, if that doesn't work yeah click go through the main site and click on the merch tab so there you go so uh that'll do it for us
0: tonight thank you everybody for listening to this hope you enjoyed the briar hope you enjoyed the games it was uh, overall i think a pretty fun week but the fun and frivolity. In Calgary is nowhere near ending. The Canadian Mixed Doubles Championship kicks off on Thursday. TSN going wall-to-wall-ish on their coverage. Kathy and Brian doing the whole thing. Vic's going home. He's getting a rest, which is probably good. Uh, And Presumably, Russ and Cheryl also are going to leave the bubble for a couple weeks, about a week and a half, I think, they get at home before they all have to head back in for the Men's World Championship. So Scott, we will be back later this week to talk about the mixed doubles. Are you excited?
1: So excited. Yeah, there you go. That's the spirit, buddy.
0: Uh, (laughs) So look out for our preview of the mixed doubles. That'll be coming in the next day or so. But until then, thanks for listening and keep your brooms on the ice and don't dump that intern.
1: time